With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Wow. Quiet, please. You ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host... My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Wednesday and it's the Radio Northwest Network. And I want to tell you something if you haven't noticed already the pacific northwest and especially the states of oregon and washington are not delivering justice they are not delivering the kind of criminal justice that citizens and taxpayers and law-abiding citizens actually expect now i understand the liberals who populate most of the halls of government the governors the state legislatures the city officials in the biggest cities of the northwest They're going to tell you all day long how concerned they are about the criminals and the rights of the criminals. I care more about the victims. And I've got a case in front of me right now, uh, and I'm going to play a soundbite for you in just a moment, of a young lady whose sister was killed. Her unborn baby was killed. Her young son was killed. Her daughter was badly hurt. And the guy who did it has a track record, a really terrible track record. So you'd say that ought to weigh in the equation. He also was driving his car at three times plus the legal level of alcohol in his system. And if you're thinking, Lars, he killed two, three people. He killed a a mother, an unborn baby, and a child. Although in Washington State, that only added up to two homicides because... Under Washington state law, the fetus doesn't count. They consider it an unborn baby. When you commit a crime against an unborn baby and you kill that unborn baby, it's not a crime as far as the state of Washington is concerned. But that may be a subject for another day. But you've taken three lives. You're driving more than three times drunk. And you kill these people and you leave a little eight-year-old girl named Scarlett badly, badly hurt. Uh, and what are you going to get? Are you going to get the book thrown at you? No. You're going to get a very, very light sentence because 
the courts, the cops, the state legislature, and others simply have shown themselves to be incapable of, of uh, delivering justice. Now, I'm going to get to the details on that one because it ought to outrage you. And if you want to fault me and say, Lars, your mom was killed by a drunk driver more than 50 years ago, you've got a dog in the fight, fine. It is disclosed at that point. And if you want to join the conversation, I'd be glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right in the front of the line. Like John the Electrician from time to time, uh, we have some regulars, but we have some unique naysayers as well. So if you want to be a naysayer, you want to dispute what I have to say in my point of view, that is what this program is all about. It's not just my point of view, it's yours as well. And do we have other things to talk about today? Hunter Biden showing up on Capitol Hill to testify and lying that his dad wasn't involved in those multi-million dollar business deals that he cooked up in China and Russia and Kazakhstan and and Ukraine. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. And Mitch McConnell, finally, Republican Mitch McConnell going out the door, although it can't happen soon enough. Sadly, he's going to wait until after the election. And if you want to say Lars never says anything bad about Republicans, Mitch McConnell has been a major league loser for the Republican Party. He has not done justice to his own constituents. He certainly hasn't done justice as Senate leader for the American people. And we'll get to those a bit later on. But if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-439-5277. If you'd rather send an email, it's talk at LarsLarson.com. And our poll on X, which used to be called Twitter, should Oregon and Washington ditch their urban growth boundaries and get some more housing built and bring housing prices down? That would be the result of ditching urban growth boundaries. And I might actually surprise you. I've been railing on the urban growth boundaries for the last 30 years or so. Uh, to no avail, I haven't been successful, but the urban growth boundary was cooked up when Oregon in the early 70s said, hey, we've got a great idea. Let's make land really, really scarce. We will do to land what OPEC did to the price of oil. You reduce the supply and you jack the price through the roof. And they thought that was going to be a good idea. And they also said, by the way, we're going to save land by having urban growth boundaries, and we're going to save land for farming. Well, I got a little bad news for you in that case. There are three places in the United States, as pointed out by our friends at Oregon Catalyst, that have urban growth boundaries. Oregon, Washington, and Tennessee. By the way, China has an urban growth boundary, if you wanted to know. And uh, as the Fortune magazine headline pointed out today, it has been illegal to build outside of a city in Oregon for the better part of 50 years. So what does Oregon have now? The nation's third most expensive housing. And guess what? The amount of farmland has actually declined instead of increasing. So if you want to vote the question, should Oregon and Washington ditch their urban growth boundaries to get more housing? I'd say yes to that question. You can vote any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. So let me tell you the story of Samantha Denny, 31, pregnant with a child, two-year-old son named Adonis, and her little girl named Scarlett. Scarlett is the only survivor of this terrible crime that happened. A guy by the name of Drayden Jorgensen, 27 years old, the evidence shows he was more than three times past the legal limit for alcohol in his system. And not only that, 
that he had a track record, previous criminal convictions, including one for DUI. And guess what? They've cut a deal. They've cut a deal where for three lives that he took, even though Washington State only counts two of them, because, as I said, the Evergreen State does not consider the life of the unborn baby subject to a homicide charge for Mr. Jorgensen, they have cut a deal where he will serve less than 10 years in prison. Now, they blame this on sentencing guidelines, on prosecutors, on judges, on court decisions. They can blame it on whatever they want. But they're not taking the, pro the problem seriously. If they say, you can commit a crime that takes three lives, you can have a track record of criminal activity and previous DUI, and all you're going to get for punishment for having taken, by my count, three lives and done horrible damage to this eight-year-old girl who got thrown out of the car and ended up under one of the wheels of the car, but she survived, thank God. Scarlett is still alive. Her mother, her unborn uh, sibling, and her brother are all dead. And Mr. Jorgensen, because the system is incapable of delivering justice, well, the system is going to say, well, something less than 10 years, that's going to have to do. They say that he would be offered a plea deal. It would end up with him serving less than 10 years in prison. I think this is absolutely outrageous. And if you do, too, you should reach out to your state lawmakers and say, change the law. When an unborn baby is killed, that ought to be a homicide. When somebody is driving three times drunk and has a history of it, he's had his one bite of the apple. He's had a chance to reform, recant, repent, and fix his behavior, and he doesn't, and he takes lives. And Mr. Jorgensen, as usual with the drunks in these fatal crashes, the drunk ends up surviving. And then he gets softball treatment from the system. If anybody thinks that's right, wants to be the naysayer, I'd be glad to take the call. The Northwest Nonsense is coming up next. Your calls are welcome at 866-439-5277. And you're listening to the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. He's the best investment in talk radio, and it's free. Lars Larson. 
That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You bloody well right. You know he got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? That great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Now some criminals become such monsters that they richly deserve the death penalty. That is my opinion. I know that some of you may not share it. That's all right. Allow me to persuade you. A sizable majority of citizens support capital punishment. That is true across America. It is even true in the polls here in the Pacific Northwest. But our elite government masters in Oregon and Washington, not in Idaho, but in Oregon and Washington, claim they know better than the citizens. So they have effectively repealed the death penalty, although it still sits on the books, but it just will never be used again. Even for the most heinous criminals and the most heinous murders, they will not impose the death penalty in Oregon and Washington. They also refuse to put it to a vote. Now, why wouldn't they put it to a vote? Because they know to a fair certainty what would happen in both Oregon and Washington. The citizens support it. The elites do not. In fact, as an example, the last time, just a few years ago, that liberal California put up a well-funded campaign to repeal its death penalty, voters said no loudly at the polls. At least Idaho had some common sense, even if they've been a bit slow in this case. Thomas Creech, who killed his first victims a full 50 years ago, was supposed to face execution a couple of hours ago. But at the prison, they couldn't find a vein, so he's escaped it, at least for today. I hope they make as many more op uh, tries as they have to to actually uh, impose that sentence that he should have got a long time ago. Now, Thomas Creech is convicted of five murders and claims he's killed 50 people or more. Police believe that he's killed in Oregon, Idaho, California, and Arizona. He even killed another inmate using a sock full of batteries, beat the guy to death in prison. Now, what do you do with a monster like that? It's one of the big challenges that I put in front of people when they say, well, just put them in prison for the rest of their lives. And I say, well, what happens when they escape and killers do? What happens when they kill a fellow inmate and killers do? And what happens when they kill a corrections officer who's just doing his or her job? What do you do with them then? If they're already locked up for life, do you lock them up for two times life or five times life or ten times life? A majority of Americans believe that real justice in that case is the loss of the criminal's life. But the government that claims it represents us, at least in Oregon and Washington, has denied us that choice. Go figure. Uh, an email, too, about what we've been talking about a lot the last few weeks. That's the Oregon legislature's non-solution to the fentanyl overdose crisis created by voters when they approve Measure 110. Lars, I love your show. Longtime listener, my wife and I lost our 21-year-old daughter March 28, 2021, to fentanyl poisoning. She took a pill that she thought was a Percocet, but it was laced with fentanyl. So when I hear you say fentanyl overdosing, I think you really ought to say fentanyl poisoning instead. Joe Biden's open borders policy has been killing young people ever since he took office. No respect for the liar. He should be in prison along with the whole Biden family. My wife will never be the same. Signed, Daryl. And our question of the day, because you're seeing a lot of headlines today in the Northwest, about lawmakers in Salem putting a ban on book bans. I know it sounds duplicative. What they did was they passed a law that purports to support uh, 
keeping books in schools that are not age-appropriate for the kids. But there are no book bans in the schools. There are parents who say some of this material is not appropriate for different ages of kids. That's not a book ban. But I know that the mainstream media and the Democrats like to call something a ban. But how can the lawmakers put a ban on book bans when the book bans don't exist? That's question one. Question two, has anybody noticed that there is a hole in that law, the one that they're passing, that is so big you could drive a truck through it? Here's what they banned. You can't ban a book if you are banning it because it was written by somebody in a protected class or it was written about a protected class. So if you've written a book and you're gay, lesbian, uh, you, you're a different color, you're a different age, you're a different nationality, you can't ban the book for that. Now, what the, the ban does not appear to contain is what happens when somebody who either is or is not in a protected category based on color, nationality, uh, religion, or whatever, writes a book where the contents of the book are so objectionable, so pornographic, that most school boards will shut down a parent if they try to read it out loud at the school board meeting. That is not banned. So I think in a lot of ways you're hearing some deceptive reporting on this when you say, well, they banned book bans. Number one, there are no book bans, so it's a straw man. Number two, if you ban a book simply because it was written by a lesbian, that's illegal. If you ban a book because it was written by somebody who's black, that's illegal. But if somebody of any color, any sexuality, no matter what's between their legs or between their ears, writes a book that's full of pornographic material, that can still be banned. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you completely insane? Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. Well, today I'm going to award the Daily Grill to what I'm calling Joe Biden's fraudulent big board, uh, big border adventure. And here's what I mean by that. I want you to consider the optics of this because very clearly the White House did. Tomorrow, Joe Biden, president, will be in Brownsville, Texas, near the border. Uh, Donald Trump, president, will also be in Texas near the border, but about 300 miles away from Joe Biden at the place where most of the illegal aliens are coming across the border into America. It turns out that Brownsville, Texas, as you may already know, I knew it already, was one of the places where a lot of illegal aliens used to cross into America. And if you say, Lars, they used to, aren't they crossing there much anymore? No, it's not nearly so busy these days because of Texas Governor Greg Abbott and his Operation Lone Star. So imagine this. Joe Biden is going to go to the border to see the problem by going to a place where the problem has been largely eliminated, not by his federal government, but by the state of Texas, the very same state that was sued by the Biden administration to stop Texas from protecting itself from the illegal alien invasion. So Joe's going to get a closer look at the border problem by going to the place where there's no problem anymore? Yeah, that makes sense. But it'll make great TV pictures, I'm sure. Our best email of the day, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. This is about yesterday's X-Poll, and it comes from Paula in Washington. Lars, I don't have time to research this now, but I'm pretty sure that in the 80s, you couldn't finalize a divorce in Washington State if the wife was pregnant. I pointed out yesterday that four states in America say you can start your divorce, but you can't finish it up if your wife is pregnant. 
that is no longer the law in 46 states. It is the law in four states. Let me get John on very quickly before the break. John, what's on your mind today? Let's get to it fast. Yes, the history of Senate Bill 100, which stops the development in Oregon, it started out historically, Tom McCall, the governor, had a beach house. He didn't want people to build around him. So he went to the municipality and asked them to stop building around his beach house. They said no. So he created a coastal commission using the rules of the California Coastal Commission, and he stopped everybody from building around his cabin. He said, that's a great idea. Let's do it in the whole state of Oregon. And that's how Senate Bill 100 came into effect. And I test Justified 46 years ago or more, saying that if you pass this bill and take away all the developable land, then you're going to have the normal normal income person won't be able to afford a house. The Lars Larson Show. No need to adjust your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. Always glad to take your calls. You know, I don't like graffiti. In fact, I don't even like calling it graffiti. I consider it to be criminal vandalism. Well, the law says it's criminal. If you do more than $1,000 damage, I would guess that a lot of the graffiti criminals do more than 1000 It can even be a felony. But the big cities like Seattle and Portland don't seem to take graffiti very seriously. In fact, I think the view of a lot of reporters in TV newsrooms seems to be, well, it's kind of artistic. And, you know, they're just uh, announcing the presence of their criminal gang or some other activities. So I wanted to talk to Aaron Mesh, who's managing editor at Willamette Week, about a story that's been done by Anthony Effinger. And uh, Aaron, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good to be here. I'm doing, doing well. So I had to say that because in the story, Effinger refers to them as taggers, and I've heard people refer to them. They they all seem to be less serious uh, labels for somebody who's committing a criminal act by going out and damaging somebody else's property. So that's my viewpoint, disclosed fully so that everybody knows where my dog in the fight is. What's new about graffiti, at least for the city of Portlandia? Well, what I thought was pretty interesting is we were able to identify the five taggers whose work is most prominent across the city. In other words, to use more your language, uh, what kinds of penalties are they facing? So uh, I, I think it's pretty fun in the sense that it's a little bit, I looked at it as sort of like an Audubon guide to knowing your uh, your urban landscape, you know, like going bird watching. If you see a tag, who did that and will they ever face any consequences? Um, Anthony spent uh, a day with Officer Nate Kirby Vlatkowski, who is the police officer in the city who is uh, most focused on eliminating graffiti. And I think uh, readers will find it a pretty interesting read. Kirby Glatzkowski, and in fact, the story even points out his friends know him or his fellow officers know him as KG, right? Yeah, we'll call him Officer KG for my purposes, so I stopped mispronouncing it. Exactly. So let's talk about this. Why aren't we seeing anybody get punished for this damage that's being done? I mean, I, I find it appalling that when I drive through any of the big cities in the Northwest, I don't know of a single one that isn't damaged one end to the other by this kind of vandalism. And yet uh, the city doesn't seem to take it very seriously. And if they could really go out and just arrest and prosecute five people and eliminate most of the problem, it sounds like it, it should be doable. Sure. 
I actually would take some issue with your thesis here, given that of the five uh, major taggers that we've profiled here, all of them are uh, on police radar, and I actually would argue that I think four out of the currently facing significant criminal penalties, including jail time. Uh, I don't think any, I think one of the, of the five is at large, uh, and the others, including one who got busted last week, who's facing uh, a decent stretch of time behind bars. Um, I just don't know that I agree that that's what the problem is. I think uh, where I would focus where the problem is right now is, in fact, that the city doesn't proactively clean it up. Yeah, except that when you clean it up, aren't you just giving this vandal a fresh canvas for their, their next work? Well, not if they're behind bars, are you? Well, not if they're behind bars. Did did uh, I didn't see in this in the story? Did Effinger find out when was the last time anybody went to actual prison uh, for committing graffiti vandalism? Um, you know that's a very fair question that um, that I do not know the answer to. Although I believe, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm actually not 100 percent sure that any of these guys have actually faced prison time, which is a totally fair point. Okay, and the because that's I think part of the way a society com communicates whether something's allowable or not. Uh, as a small yeah, example, I say that they don't face prison time. I just don't know. Some of them certainly do. Like for example, Cameron Johnson Young would, would appear to be facing significant criminal penalties, including a decent stretch behind bars for the criminal mischief, robbery, and theft charges he faces. The question is whether or not any of them have actually received those sentences, or whether they've cut deals. Is, um, is it only my imagination? Or does it seem like I've always seen graffiti vandalism, but the amount of it uh, in just the last few years seems to have grown gigantically? Do you think that impression know, is your, correct? That's not, that's, that's not your imagination. That's correct. And Anthony like wrote about that the last time that I was on the air with you, I believe, back in January. We talked about uh, the degree to which uh, City Hall allowed this to, to proliferate during the pandemic, uh, in part out of fears that uh, the covering it up would seem like a, like a crackdown on uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. But as you may recall, also from our previous conversation, it's mostly young white boys doing this. Oh, heaven forfend we should crack, crack down on BLM, right? So is there some political bias in who gets prosecuted and what gets attention? seeing from the from the prosecutions i wouldn't say so i mean i think there's certainly plenty of people across the rainbow spectrum who are being prosecuted on this uh when i look at the names i mean i don't know their races lars so like uh then certainly the names would indicate to me that there are some white people here and there are some people of, of latino background but no uh, I, I was have, i was referring I to uh, ted wheeler you know, Aaron, I was referring to Ted Wheeler saying, we don't want to crack down on this. It'll look like we're coming down on BLM. And you say, well, who cares who you're coming down to on? It's a criminal act. It's a misdemeanor until it gets to a thousand bucks. And Aaron, if I look at all the surfaces that are covered with this kind of vandalism, I'm guessing that if you called up a contractor and said, I need all this stuff painted over, a thousand bucks is probably not even a low point starting point. Well, we've talked before about how I, my, my view is that the obvious solution here is that the people who do this should be then be forced to clean it up. I agree. I agree. I, I'd love to put them in, you know, put them on a work crew and uh, and have them go out and do that, but then also maybe spend some time in jail. They, they could go uh, every night and check in at 8 o'clock and check out the next morning. That's done with some people convicted of crimes. Anything else we should notice about Anthony Effinger's story in particular that people can find at W Week? 
You know, I think one of the, the really shocking figures here is that the two officers who are interested in this problem and who have volunteered to try to, to solve the, the mystery of who's doing this tagging can only dedicate 10% of their time to it uh, because they don't have enough officers to staff the rest of the Bureau's backlog. So in a 160-hour work month, say 40 hours a week, they can devote an hour and a half every month to the problem? Doesn't sound like they're going to get very far with that. Do most people only work 40 hours a week? I can't imagine oh, that. Well, maybe in Portlandia it's lower, and I just did the math wrong. It's 16 hours. They, In other words, out of any given month, they'd end up spending two days a month on graffiti vandalism and the other 18 or 20 uh, days every month on, on conventional criminality. Uh, so I'm all for them going out after that, but it just... It really makes the city look ugly, and I kind of wonder whether people, I mean, Portland's trying to reinvent itself, reinvigorate the city. I don't think that's got great prospects right now, but I try to imagine what it would be like to fly into PDX, get in a car or an Uber or whatever, heading into town saying, maybe we want to bring our next corporate headquarters or location here, and as you're coming into town, this is what you're greeted with. It's really striking the degree to which and it's unlike other cities in the U.S. because I've done a decent amount of traveling since 2020. It, it is striking how different it looks coming down the highway on 84 from the airport here than it does from, say, Denver or Miami or Orlando or the, some of the places that I've seen. You know what I would do, uh, among other things, to get City Hall's attention? I'd say you're always telling us you've got to have fancy offices. They're going to want a bigger City Hall. Uh, they want to fancy up the downtown area. They want to have fancy brickwork on the pavement, nice light fixtures and all this. Say, you get all that fancy stuff when you clean up the mess that you've allowed criminals to make in the rest of the property, which is mostly private property. Until then, you're getting plain Jane. And by the way, the new office furniture for the new 12-member city council, we're going to be buying it at uh, Discount Furniture or one of those places. Aaron, thanks very much. Back in just a moment, i got to tell you about the latest crazy ride that they're proposing. Public transit that costs $118 for every rider on every ride. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs, but how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you, your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. 
more with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I want to talk about that crazy transit project I mentioned to you a moment ago that's insanely expensive. But because we were just talking about graffiti criminal activity, uh, Jason called in. And Jason, uh, I understand you're with a company that actually has a graffiti tracker software. That sounds intriguing. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening in Eugene on the Radio Northwest Network. Tell me about it. Hi, Lars. Uh, well, the program's called Graffiti Tracker, and it's a, it's a system where you will go out to graffiti, uh, side of the wall, a bus, a window, scratched uh, mirror in a bathroom, and you can take a picture of that image or whatever tag it could be, and the system will store that, that uh, damage, if you will, and then it collaborates that with a bunch of other graffiti that's out there. So it'll... I, it'll basically, it's like facial recognition. So yeah. every time the perp goes and tags a wall, a dumpster, or wherever he could be, or she, uh, when you go out and photograph that, it'll store it, and then it collects it so that it puts it in a database, shows you how many times that individual has been here, 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 or there, shows you a tracking pattern of their normal route, you know, like mice, usually travel the wall and it'll show you like a street map for where this individual goes and law enforcement in california has been pretty successful with actually going to the front door of these individuals and saying hey you're responsible for about mm, let's see let's look it up here about fifty thousand dollars worth of damage to public and private property wow but when we pulled that together tried to get it uh, implemented here in eugene with there was a law enforcement officer that he's recently left but uh he was like the graffiti cop and he would go out and spray lines through graffiti and you know do his own thing on his own time and we did the same but uh what's interesting is that they turned their head to it they said there's not enough resources there's not enough funding there's not enough you know this is just graffiti is all it is but the graffiti that we were taking pictures of was kill trump and a lot of the stuff wow. that i'd say on the air and uh blm there was one instance where i was actually confronted by law enforcement because someone called in and said that they're painting over a mural and it wasn't a mural it was during those all the riots and whatever happened in town here and it said black lives matter across the side of a building we have a gallon of gray paint and went ahead and started covering it up and law enforcement said what, 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 what are you doing that's not your wall you have no right to be here and <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were trying to so cover in other up words, law enforcement practices. ignores law enforcement ignores the people who are doing damage to the building and when you come to put plain gray paint over the damage which to some extent repairs it they say you don't have permission to be here like the graffiti right. vandals did they can be there. They can damage the wall. They can, you know, go outside the law and do what they want to do and destroy public property or private. But when someone tries to repair it, it's thrown in your face as this is you are vandalizing now. Now, how do you mind my asking if you go to a law enforcement agency and you say, buy this software, put it out there and let your officers use it. And it could be I mean, you could assign you could assign the software to a bunch of officers. They wouldn't all have to be the graffiti cop. And they could just say, whenever you see graffiti, snap a picture in a time and date and location. Um, how expensive is it? Do you mind saying it's 
it's not that expensive for you know a, a government agency to purchase it, and any law enforcement, any officer could have it on their phone, on the ready, where they're all they all have smartphones. You take a picture of it, it uploads to the database. It's right there. It it geotags it so you know where you're at, and it's I mean it's fo it's photographic evidence that hopefully will come back and you know get that individual that put it on the building. And part of my hope was is that Eugene could uh, take the sheriff's department, the road crew, and what you were saying earlier, have a graffiti cleanup crew, an abatement service that they'd go out on a Saturday at six o'clock in the morning, rain or shine, and get out there and start scrubbing, and or painting over. And uh, they had no no interest in it at all. And you know this is that's a problem where. Eugene is not as bad as Portland as when you're driving up and going to Vancouver. It's just left side, right side, every square inch of all the way up properties. Yeah, believe and me, Portland, my wife and I we drive that path uh, a lot, and every time I just know my wife's gonna she's gonna say, and I say it's you know I hate it too. I just don't know what they're going to do to get on top of it, and uh, and sadly, I mean I looked it up because uh, I wanted to make sure I wasn't overstating it. Any kind of graffiti vandalism is a misdemeanor, which is a crime for which jail's available, at least as a threat. If you do more than $1,000 damage, then it can be charged as a felony. So they certainly have the tools in hand. Now, am I saying divert people from rape and murder and other more serious crimes? No. But I think this is the kind of thing you could almost use in incremental time, you know, where an officer's out, he does, he's not working on any calls, he snaps a few pictures, and maybe at some point they identify this is where this person is, and, and then you go tag them, you know, you tag them. And uh, I'd, I'd yep. frankly like to tag him with a paintball gun, but you know that's a different matter. But but uh, tag him, uh, charge him, and and say if you're looking at some jail time, are you willing to knock off his behavior? And if you get caught a second time, then we'll bring down the felony charges. You could get people's attention at the very least. I'll give you the last ten seconds. Well, Lars, great idea, and I think the community resource officers would be able to you know implement this and then have it at the ready. I mean, not every law enforcement officer is going to have the availability to you know, hey, I'm watching graffiti today. You got other things to do, but you know, if graffiti tracker could be a method that's used. Jason, by we're, we're going to get your contact information. I want to hang on to that. Thanks, Jason. The Lars. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1030 exchanges, but how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 Exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 Exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big solo? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being 
Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll be glad to get to your phone calls and emails in a bit. But I want you to imagine this, because it is so far out of the ordinary. It's a violent crime, and those, sadly, are not out of the ordinary. But the way this one played out is so strange and so weird. I wanted to talk to somebody who's involved in it. It involves a man who has a long, long record of violent crimes, convictions for violent crimes that date back 19 years. And his most recent crime was to approach a man, and beat the man down to the pavement, apparently with no provocation whatsoever, to the point, and he was shouting racial epithets because the attacker was white and the man who was beaten was black. And he beats the man down to the pavement and then stomps on the man's face with his boot. And you'd think, okay, they're going to throw the book at this guy. Well, you would be wrong about that. Even if you're talking about a woke liberal community like Portlandia and Multnomah County, you would think... They're going to go after this guy. They're going to charge him with a hate crime. He's committed violence against his man. The man, thank God, Miss Preston, is still alive, but his face, as he put it, still doesn't look right. He's apparently lost permanent vision in one eye, and, and it's a terrible crime. And what does the DA do? They cut a deal to give Daniel Thomas Warren a relatively light sentence. So I wanted to bring on Alicia LaDuke Montgomery, who's an attorney representing uh, the victim of this assault, who's Darrell Preston. Ms. Uh, LaDuke Montgomery, welcome to the program. Thank you, Lars, and thank you for highlighting this important case and the work that really needs to be done around accountability in these types of hate crimes. And if I screw up any of the details, please feel free to correct me. And before I go any further, for this man who survived, Darrell Preston, uh, his family's put up a GoFundMe, and I can't imagine somebody who deserves it more than a man who's left with permanent physical damage to, to the way he looks, to his eye, and everything else, and suffers this kind of attack, and then has the system, I think, fail him so badly. So would you mind telling my audience where they can help this man out if they choose? Yes, thank you. It's on the GoFundMe website titled Donate to Help Laurel's Chicken Shack Owner. And that's Mr. Preston. He's the owner of a food cart in Oregon. Uh, he was attacked right outside his food cart from behind. Was there any kind of provocation for this attack? And I guess I can say it now because Daniel Thomas Warren has cut a deal, so he's going to be pleading guilty. But was there any provocation whatsoever for what happened that day? No provocation. There was a prior brief encounter where Mr. Warren had followed Mr. Preston to the food cart. So Mr. Preston thought, okay, this person's trying to order some chicken, order a meal. Let me, you know, present him some service. Mr. Warren didn't really respond, didn't do anything, looked menacing. Mr. Preston then steps behind the food cart to take a call from his wife. While he's on the phone talking to her, the defendant, Daniel Warren, comes up behind him and just attacks him beats him to the ground, and continues beating him while Mr. Preston was on the ground, which was partially recorded, but no provocation uh, for that type of attack. So you've got a, an attack in, in daylight, or, or, or were, and there were witnesses around who saw this in addition to the video. Is that right? There were some witnesses who saw parts of it, but not the entire encounter. 
though some folks, and we don't know fully who they are, you know, viewed it as they were driving by because this was on a major busy intersection, and as you say, in broad daylight. So talking about Daniel Thomas Warren, how, uh, my audience, uh, you know, is constantly asking me, how, is a, how does a person with this kind of track record behind him, eight convictions over the last 19 years for punching, strangling, beating, threatening to kill, kidnapping, biting the fingers of his victims, how does a guy like this end up with the DA's office originally asking 12 years a hate crime conviction and the family wants at least four. They weren't asking for the full meal. Uh, and they wanted an apology. And the family gets none of what they actually want. And Mr. Warren ends up with, it sounds like, a very a light slap on the wrist for the kind of crime he committed. How does that happen? Well, and, and an explanation from the district attorney's office on that point would be appreciated by the Preston family. Because as you point out, Lars, you know, the Preston's, they were victims of a crime they didn't ask for. They didn't ask to have this happen or be a part of it. And they're not vindictive people. They're people of faith. And all they wanted was reasonable accountability, recognizing the community safety concerns uh, Daniel Warren presented to themselves and the community at large. And they asked for an apology. Now, there are victim-centered reasons why uh, instances like this may be resolved by a plea deal. For example, you have folks who are still undergoing medical treatment um, who are victims of a horrendous crime, every time they have to give an interview, every time they have to take the stand to testify, come to court, engage in a process they didn't ask for, it's re-traumatizing. So there are some victim-centered reasons why a prosecutor might seek a plea deal that involves, you know, pleading to the assault and pleading to the bias crime aspect. But I think when the prosecutor chooses that route, they need to listen to the victims. And here, Mr. Preston and his family were simply asking four years prison time and accountability for the bias aspect of this. And they didn't get four years, and they didn't get an apology. And the prosecutor had the power and authority, as you say, both with this man's background of violent crime and just the full weight that the prosecutor's office carries in these types of negotiations to do better on this case. And by the way, Warren's attorney, correct me if I'm wrong, walked into court and told the judge, my client is willing to take accountability for what he did, correct? That is correct. And but so no wouldn't apology you think the, the first part of accountability is saying, I did what you say I did, and I'm sorry? Yes, you would think that. And, the, and Mr. Preston's wife gave a statement in court at that, at that sentencing hearing, and she said, you know, the healing process for these types of physical abuse usually starts with an apology from your attacker. But here, they've never been given an apology and don't even know the reason they were attacked. I'm, so I'm talking. There's I'm, been accountability. I'm sorry. I was talking. I'm talking to Alicia Leduc Montgomery, who's the attorney representing the family, the victim, and I guess. Uh, Ms. LeDuc Montgomery, I hear all the time about restorative justice and, you know, we've got to, you know, put uh, victims and assailants together and get them to talk things out and all this stuff. I hear about this all the time. I also hear all the time about hate crimes. Uh, I won't ask you to say what Mr. Warren said to Mr. Preston as he's beating him down to the pavement, but suffice to say it was a racial, a series of racial epithets that he's saying while he's beating Mr. Preston. Yes, that's correct. He was yelling racial slurs uh, that many of us would not repeat uh, while beating him. And and they dropped the hate crime charge. They didn't drop it, but he pled no contest. 
which basically means if he carries out the series of, for example, community service, bias, sensitivity trainings, I think he has to read a book about uh, racism issues and write a reflection essay. If he does those things, then the conviction can be removed from his record. Now, if he doesn't do those things, he will have to come back for further sentencing and potentially yeah. face further prison time. Alicia LaDuke Montgomery represents the family in this case. We put up the information about the GoFundMe page on our website. Ms. LaDuke Montgomery, thanks very much. You're not getting justice, folks, and these are the decisions of elected officials in your community. And it's bad in Washington, it's bad in Oregon, and you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network. Coming up next, Hunter Biden goes to Capitol Hill. With everything, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. The Zoom meeting you actually want to be at. This is the Lars Larson Show. For six years, I've been the target of the unrelenting Trump attack machine shouting, where's Hunter? Well, here's my answer. I am here. Yep, that's Hunter Biden standing there on Capitol Hill today, and he's playing the victim. I've been the victim. They've been attacking me. They've been trying to hunt me down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what did he do? He showed up to testify before the U.S. Congress. You'll remember he was subpoenaed to testify, and then he refused to actually comply with the subpoena. So what do we know now? We know that Hunter Biden testified today. He testified behind closed doors, and apparently it was not a recorded interview. Uh, he didn't talk to reporters as he arrived. That was about 10 o'clock Eastern time today. But he did talk to them on his way out. But in his opening statement, this is what I find absolutely outrageous, because I think Hunter Biden is as guilty as sin, and I'll explain why. But he said, I'm here today to provide the committee with one uncontestable fact that should end the false premise of this inquiry. I did not involve my father in my business. Now, that was in his opening statement. Let me tell you why I think that's a bald-faced lie. He's trying to brazen his way past this because he has no other place to go. He can't admit 
that Joe Biden was directly involved and, in fact, was instrumental in business dealings that earned the Biden crime family, uh, at least so far, a documented $24 million over the last number of years, stretching right back to the time when Joe Biden was vice president and after he was vice president and before he became president of the United States. But before I get into the details... Let me invite you to the conversation. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day. And you can call 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line. If you disagree with me and you think, well, Hunter Biden's doing nothing but being a good lawyer, as he claimed to be today, and a good businessman, as he claimed to be today. If you actually believe this claptrap, that Hunter Biden says his dad played no role in his business whatsoever. I don't think you've been paying attention, but if you're the naysayer who wants to say it, we will invite you to stand at the front of the line, and I'll give you all the time you need to explain why you think he's actually telling the truth. 866-439-5277. Naysayers go first. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. We put up a brand new question every day uh, of our poll question. Used to be Twitter, now it's X. You can find the X question at Lars Larson Show. And you can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Here's why I find this so absolutely laughably untrue. And it's not a laughing matter. If this man testifies before the Congress, if he's under oath, and he says Joe Biden had no involvement, he said was never involved in his business, that's perjury. And as far as I'm concerned, perjury by Hunter Biden, perjury by Joe Biden, as we used to say back in the Bill Clinton days, perjury is perjury, and you need to be punished for it. So, why would I say that Joe Biden has been involved in the business dealings of Hunter Biden? Because originally, Joe Biden would tell reporters as he was running for president, he would say, I never even talked to my son about business, that I never discussed business with my son. Except now we have emails, we have photographs, we have phone conversations, text messages and the like, which show that when Hunter Biden needed his dad to get on the phone with somebody, like a foreign leader or a foreign business head, and talk to them, he did it. When he needed his dad to stop by a business dinner at a restaurant, he did it. And Joe Biden, for the longest time I've told you this, it was absolutely inconceivable that, for example, on one trip, Joe Biden, then Vice President, gets on Air Force Two, with Hunter Biden, and they fly all the way to China, which uh, 12, 14, 16 hours in an airplane. And that apparently, according to both Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, they didn't talk about his son's business dealings. They discussed the weather and sports and time at the beach or whatever, something other than what Hunter Biden was doing. And that on one of those trips, when Hunter Biden went with his then-Vice President dad to China, they show up on Air Force Two, the Chinese care a lot about protocol. They care a lot about how you appear. So the man you're about to do business with in the case of CEFC, which was a gigantic Chinese energy company that wanted to do business in the United States. And they wanted to do business and they need clearances that Hunter Biden's dad could arrange. And uh, CEFC is not around for the most part now. But Hunter Biden got paid millions and millions of dollars 
Now, do you think it's because of his charming personality? Do you think it's because of his deep knowledge of prostitutes, prices, both, and availability? Do you think it's because the Chinese wanted to know about how to snort cocaine or smoke drugs? They wanted that connection because they wanted to be able to get to people in high places in America. And now there's evidence, eyewitness testimony, photographs and emails that show that Joe Biden met with his son and his son's business associates from two different Chinese companies, that he was involved in meeting with people in business deals from Mexico, Kazakhstan, Russia, Ukraine, and all the rest. Now, Hunter Biden is going to say, no, it didn't happen at all. My dad was never involved. I don't find that very believable. But then Hunter Biden comes out and says, well, the only reason that I'm subject to all this negative attention is because of MAGA, the Make America Great Again cause of President Donald Trump. Take a listen to what he said just a few hours ago. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They've ridiculed my struggle with addiction. Now, hold on. They've impugned his character? The character of a guy who was involved in sleazy business deals in Ukraine. I mean, anybody who describes what Hunter Biden's relationship was with the Ukrainian natural gas company Burisma understands the fix was in and that Hunter Biden wasn't worth a dime to Burisma without his vice president daddy. And then you have to wonder, well, how much did they pay him to sit on a board of directors for a Ukrainian natural gas company? And the answer is roughly a million dollars a year, about $83,000 every month. And you say... Did Hunter Biden have deep knowledge of the natural gas industry? Nope. Did he have deep knowledge of his of uh, as a lawyer of say energy law? Nope. Didn't have that either. Did what? Did he even know how to speak the language in Ukraine? The answer is no to all of that. But the bottom line is Hunter Biden's going to say that Joe was not involved. Listen to this. Let me state as clearly as I can: my father was not financially involved in my business. Not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad. Nor abroad. Now, that's the position he's going to take. But I'd point out to you, he doesn't have any room to take any other position. The minute he admits that he was selling favors out of the office of the vice president of the United States, that's trouble. That's criminal charges. The minute he admits that, his dad, Joe Biden, is politically extinct. So he's got to maintain this lie, and he'll do it even if he has to commit perjury before the United States Congress. Your calls are welcome, naysayers too, at 866-439-5277. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and The, the Radio Northwest Larson Show. Broadcasting from his socially distanced bunker to yours. 
It's sanitized entertainment. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails. You know, I, I'm helping to teach my granddaughter Payson to read, and I told her I get endless enjoyment of, of reading. Reading is one of my favorite activities from the time I was a kid uh, to present. Uh, and in fact, I end up reading a lot because of work, but I also read for fun. Uh, I like to read both fiction and nonfiction for fun, and I'm really concerned that America ought to be in a spot to really make sure that every single person in this country is able to read well, and we seem to be failing at that despite tens of billions of dollars that we sink into public education. So I wanted to talk to Jonathan Butcher, who is the Will Skillman Senior Research Fellow in Education Policy at Heritage. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be with you. Do we have a, a literacy crisis in this country, and is there a way to describe how bad it is and whether it's getting worse? Well, I think the student results after the pandemic should have everybody confirmed, right? Reading scores among fourth graders are at their lowest level going back to the 1990s. Okay, so you've lost probably a generation or more coming out of the COVID pandemic. And so uh, what that means, though, is that when you look at individuals who are incarcerated, for example, they have high rates of illiteracy. So if we are not teaching young people to read, we are setting them up for a future where they are more likely to be involved in criminal activity, and there are high rates of individuals who can't read who find themselves in prison or in jail. And a uh, recent Senate report pointed this out, and I think it's something that really should be on parents' minds. So what is it we need to do differently, and why are the very well-funded? I always tell my audience that America funds its K-12 public schools better than every other country on the planet, and I believe that's still true. If it's not, please feel free to correct it. But if we fund these efforts very, very well, but we produce bad results, what's going wrong? Yeah, we're consistently in the top two countries in the world in terms of what we spend per child. Uh, but nevertheless, the... K-12 assigned school system spends far more per child than the private school system does. So, you know, to say that, um, you know, there's, there just, there are not efficiencies, right, in the assigned school system. Um, so there are some states, Florida, Mississippi, Louisiana, who have taken some steps in recent years, uh, some over the last 20 years, to um, improve transparency and accountability in reading instruction. So, for example, in Florida and uh, Mississippi, if you're if a student is not proficient by the end of third grade, they can't progress to fourth grade, right? So that's a great way legislatively to create more accountability. Uh, additionally, um, in recent years, I'd say last five to seven years, there's been more attention on what is known as the science of reading, which is really just a fancy way of saying uh, evidence-backed instruction. And that really points to font. I think we found, especially uh, recently, that the sort of queuing method, or what is known as the whole word method, that's been pushed by the teacher's college at Columbia, uh, has failed. Uh, it has failed for a long time. And, and that queuing method, at one time, had the strong support of individuals like um, you know, President Clinton and uh, his, uh, his, his cabinet administration, you know, his Department of Education. So, you know, there was a period when the queuing method had a lot of people, you know, vouching for it. But I think um, there's a great, uh, some great research uh, and, and exposés by some media in recent years that have shown that that doesn't work. So 
Mississippi is one of the states that, especially over the last 20 years, has moved away from the field method, moved more towards what is known as the science of reading phonics, and uh, they, they call it the Mississippi miracle because of how sharply reading scores have improved. Yeah, in fact, they've come from near the bottom of the pile uh, up quite a distance, and they say they're not done. I talked to I think, the governor of Mississippi about a year and a half ago, and he said, look, this isn't hard to do. Uh, he said we have what we call, they call it the third grade gate. And it says if, if you get to the end of third grade and you are not ready for fourth grade work, you're held back. And yet, Jonathan, I can remember when they used to sometimes advance a kid one grade or hold a kid back one grade. Nobody seems to be doing that anymore, and I've never understood why the education system says we have to just push kids through whether they're ready for the next grade or not. Is there any great chance that we might reverse that now and say if you're not ready for fourth grade, you're going to stay in, in third grade? He also pointed out, and this is Tate Reeves, governor of Mississippi, he said we spend some money on, on uh, uh, tutoring. Uh, for the kids that didn't make the third grade gate. And I said, well, how much are you spending? I think he told me they were spending 15 million bucks a year, which sounds like a rounding error in most state budgets. It's not a lot of money. And I said, what kind of results are you getting? He said, we get most of the kids ready for fourth grade. But but if, they, if they're not, they're held back. Yeah, and for a while, Florida had a school choice program, a scholarship program to help pay for reading uh, assistance. That program has since been rolled into some of the other um, uh, school choice programs, I believe. So, I mean, look, the states like Iowa, Florida, Arizona, Oklahoma, that in, you know, in recent years have created these very expansive school choice options where parents can use an account-style system to choose how and where their children learn, I mean, that can be focused on finding a tutor for a child to catch up in reading. Uh, it, can, it, it can, you know, help parents um, who already recognize where their students are falling behind. It can help them um, give their students the tools to catch up. And I think that's one of the benefits that, of course, school choice brings. So this, this whole issue here of uh, helping students learn to read overlaps with school choice. It overlaps with the justice system. Um, it, you know, it overlaps with the success in um, not just education but in the workforce. So, you know, this is, this is a, major, a major issue. And the, the fact that we have such a high percentage of individuals who are incarcerated who can't read, you know, we're talking 70 percent or more, 73 percent uh, are what some numbers, some figures have it. I mean, that's, that's a big deal, right? I mean, yeah. you've got to help us understand that if we can give kids the ability to be successful in school, it makes them less likely that they're going to find themselves having to resort to crime. Okay, but Jonathan, I want to go back to that question of will the education establishment admit that simply pushing kids forward when they're not ready is wrong and change that, or are they just simply never going back to a system that would hold you back if you're not ready for the next grade? Yeah, I think, I don't know if the, you know, the education establishment, such as teachers unions, I don't know if they're going to get behind it, but um, I can tell you that um, there are, you know, certainly those uh, in the philanthropic world, like in Mississippi, they have a, a big philanthropist who, who helped them, um, sort of jumpstart their reading turnaround. Um, and then, of course, in the school choice world, um, we keep a close eye on student success and making sure parents have options. And, and these days, you know, the, the teachers' unions, can't, they can't stop the momentum that the school choice world has brought to education policy. So, um, you know, I think I think it, the, the future is bright, 
although it's going to take um, it's going to take us not forgetting how important reading instruction really is. I guess I would think that from the teachers' union's point of view, they know that even with broad school choice, not every parent is going to pull a kid out of public school. But if they, if the teacher said, "Oh," You mean we might be teaching some kids for 13 years or 14 years instead of 12? I would think the unions would be all over that, seeing lots and lots of extra money and lots and lots of extra hours in the classroom. Jonathan, thanks very much. That's Jonathan Butcher. He's a senior research fellow in education policy at the Heritage Foundation. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And in fact, one of these days we might actually put up as our poll on X. It's not the question today. But we might say, if kids are not ready for the fourth grade, should we hold them back at third grade? Should the rest of America adopt a third grade gate the way Mississippi and other states have done? Or should you just shove them through like uh, meat through a sausage grinder and push them out the other end, whether they actually know how to read or not? Back in a moment, you're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Because you can't get enough, Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a Wednesday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, and it's my pleasure to be with you. And if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. This segment of the show brought to you by the home power generating folks at Protect Power. Make sure your loved ones are safe. When the power goes out, call 541-ONA-GEN. That's 541-ONA-GEN. Let me grab this call from uh, John. John, thanks for listening on the Radio Northwest Network. And, Ben, what's on your mind? Um, you said you weren't sure why uh, the school districts push kids through even though they're not ready. Yeah. Um, when I was in the third grade, my mother told my teacher to hold me back because I was not ready. And in front of me, the teacher said, we don't do that because it lowers the child's self-esteem. You know, I've so, heard that I, I've heard that excuse used so many times. But John, well, does it does it hurt you? No, I'm not add. saying you agree with it, but but do you think it hurts a kid's self esteem more to be held back a grade or to go on into fourth grade where everybody else can read and he can't? Well, I'll tell you, Lars. Um, 
as a third grader, I heard I had a free pass. They were going to graduate me no matter what. Yep. I'm almost 40, and I can't spell to save my life. And uh, I would ask that same teacher what she thinks my self-esteem level is now. No, no kidding. That's a very good way to put it. John, thanks very much. I want to tell you about something I got from a listener. I get a lot of tips on things from listeners. This one seemed interesting, and it really fits into what we've been talking about. So I'm not going to, I'm going to leave the man's name off of this. But Lars, I was at Costco in Vancouver yesterday, cobbling together supplies for my restaurant when I noticed a stack of cakes in the produce cooler. Cooler. What was written on the label surprised me, or should I say didn't surprise me. Celebrating black student excellence. Harriet Tubman Middle School. How often I parse out things to see if they sound wrong this way. I inserted white in the place of black to see if I would cringe. Celebrating white student excellence. Cringe. It should be automatic to celebrate student excellence. Years ago, the Washington State Liquor Control Board came into my restaurant and advised us, you can't have a ladies' night unless you have a men's night as well. The advice was play it safe, avoid discrimination, and don't do either one. Although I think the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board was overstepping their authority, perhaps they need to advise schools on discrimination. It'd be interesting to interview the people at Harriet Tubman to get their take on this. The Costco member that ordered the cakes on the label is Tony Smith-Miles. She's listed, by the way, I checked, on the school's website as the secretary to the principal, the woman who ordered the celebrating black student excellence cakes he said i took pictures of the cakes and by the way we posted the pictures on my website i figured nobody believed me if i told them about this perhaps i'm overreacting i don't think you're overreacting at all so what i did was i reached out to harriet tubman middle school which is located in portland and i wrote a note both to ms smith miles the secretary to the principal and to the principal and i said i'd love to have you come on the show and explain whether or not you are going to celebrate the excellence of all students and if there is going to be a celebration for black student excellence, would you, you know, when is the one for white students going to happen? And then I did a little more research, and here's what I found out. Harriet Tubman Middle School is grades 6, 7, and 8. They have a two-teacher-student ratio of 13 to 1. Now, that's a very healthy ratio of students to teachers. We always hear how, well, there are too many uh, kids or too many kids for every teacher. 13 to 1 sounds like private school. And yet, consider this. According to the state's most recent test scores, the place where they're celebrating black student excellence at Harriet Tubman, according to state test scores, 24% of students are at least proficient in math. That means three-quarters of the students are not proficient in math. 35% are proficient in reading. That means two-thirds of the kids at Harry Tubman are not proficient in reading. Now, does it make any sense for a school, number one, to hold a celebration of black student excellence in a school that is 60% uh, people of color, students of color? And I would ask, what do you suppose is the attitude of the other 40% who are not students of color when they see, wow, the school is celebrating the excellence of black students, but we're not black students, and they're holding no such event for the white students at the school? 
Do you think that's advisable? And by the way, I checked the other demographic you might want to wonder about, and that is it's 50-50 male and female at Harriet Tubman. So it's not biased one, one direction or the other, but it is 60% minority student enrollment in the school, 40% non-minority, and yet they're going to hold a uh, celebration of black student excellence at the school. Now, so far, I've not received an email back from the principal of the school, nor have I received an email back from the secretary who is out buying the case to have this celebration. But it seemed kind of crazy to me that a school would single out for celebration of excellence, especially a school that has 24% of the kids who can actually do math, and only 35% of the kids who are able to read, and you're celebrating any student excellence at all when you've got those kinds of numbers? If that makes sense to you, I'd be glad to hear the naysayer call. In the meantime, I'll wait for the young lady, Tony Smith-Miles, and also the principal of the school. And if they don't call tomorrow, I'll talk about the principal in particular. But I invited them to come on the show and explain, what is this celebration about? Did they actually move from maybe 20% doing math to 25? I guess that'd be worth celebrating. Did they move from 25% of the kids can read to 35%? That'd be a major move as well. Or are they just doing what's politically correct and ignoring the white kids in the school? I'd call that discrimination. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Ladies and gentlemen, you ready for the big show? In exactly 15 seconds, we'll be on the air. Lars. This is the Lars Larson Show. Never apologize for being patriotic. Honestly provocative talk with Lars Larson. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. Broadcasting across the Pacific Northwest and covering Oregon, Washington, and Idaho on the Radio Northwest Network. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. And now... Then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House. Here's your host. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. Glad you could join me on the Radio Northwest Network. We try to provide the best conversation and talk journalism. Let me start with this. And if you're a Democrat, you may take offense when I say that it seems that Washington Democrats, especially those in the state legislature, seem to be pro pornography for children, not child pornography, but pornography for children and anti-pledge of allegiance. Now, I would expect that you would want me to back that up. So I've invited Senator Jim McCune on, who represents Washington's 2nd Legislative District, which is parts of Pierce and Thurston counties. Senator, welcome to the program. 
And thank you for having me, Lars. I appreciate it. So what are the uh, Democrats proposing and what are they opposing and favoring in the legislature that makes them pro-pornography and anti-Pledge of Allegiance? Well, Lars, when I picked up on this bill, I had been listening across the U.S. about uh, the debate on um, books and schools. And uh, and you'd be, uh, I don't know if you actually have viewed any of these books or uh, your I have. viewers. But I they have. are filthy. They are filthy books. They're dirty books. Uh, they start out kind of calm. They get into a lot of sexual explicit material, and they get into sex. And my amendment is what really uh, was removing uh, these dirty books uh, from schools and I didn't let them place any of these dirty books in school or in textbooks. Um, obviously, they didn't like that, and if you listen to the debate, they actually wanted them in schools. And so I, this is a war on children for the uh, children in Washington State. This is a sad, sad situation we're in here in the state of Washington. And the bill also doesn't allow citizens uh, that don't have children in school to uh, go and testify against these books. It removes any of the taxpayers that uh, actually want to go testify. It removes the grandparents uh, if you don't have custody of the children. And it makes it very, very difficult for a parent to remove a book. And if they don't get it removed, they have to wait three years to do it again. It's, it's, uh, it's really a second they take the school board power away to make the decision. Well, I, I got to ask you about this, Senator McCune. Have any of your colleagues read the First Amendment? Because one of the most basic uh, rights under the First Amendment is the right to speak your mind, uh, express yourself, and petition your government for redress of grievances. So the Democrats actually say, we are not going to let citizens uh, sit in front of a school board and testify against school books that they find to be pornographic Unless that citizen has a child in school, how do they propose to violate the First Amendment that way? By saying you have no right to speak before the school board, you have no right to petition the school board for redress of a grievance, and you're only allowed to have that grievance if you happen to have kids in school right now. Yeah, that, that, that's a good issue, and I mentioned that in my testimony, uh, freedom of speech, but... Down here in Olympia, and you probably have been following it, whether it's a gun bill, whether it's uh, taxes, it doesn't matter if it's unconstitutional. It basically owns most all the court and the Supreme Court here. And so it makes it really tough to get anything overturned in a court system in the state of Washington. So they're pretty bold to uh, pass bills that uh, they don't really care if they're unconstitutional or not. And that argument... They, they don't even listen to it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sad deal. And the, and, and the laws in the state, you, you view this material, my amendment, it, it, it was nothing but state law. And state law requires you have to be 18 years old to read this material, view this material. Not all the books have pictures in it, but a lot of them do. And there's a site your uh, viewers might be, listeners might be interested in. It's called Book Looks. Org. And if they're uh, particularly hear a name of a book uh, in school, and they can go look it up on there because they actually 
give a summary of what the book is and what's in it. And we're talking about books um, you might not know by the title. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, Jacks of Hearts. Uh, you're talking about All Boys Aren't Blue. Another book called Jesus Land. And you wouldn't really know by the title how uh, filthy the books are. And then they have books named like Gender Queer. But you would mo know, maybe be alerted by that one. But there's a lot of them in school, and they have crept in over time. And it's, it's uh, I'm glad somebody discovered them. We've got a lot of bad librarians across this country. Yeah, we do. And that approve of the book. Well, l let me ask you something, Senator, because... The Democrats are constantly saying why, if you allow parents to choose to take their kids out of school, that you're going to impoverish the schools. And yet, do they understand that by doing things like this, they are giving every parent, or some parents at least, a sizable number, more reasons to pull their kids out of public schools than ever before? Uh, that's not true. And, and some of the testimony uh, in a committee, uh, parents have, Stated that fact, uh, you're going you're to lose another forty thousand. I think just forty five or forty six thousand went out, and uh, I think I got another estimate. Another in the next three years, another fifty six thousand kids are going to be leaving school because of this kind of stuff. And not only this, they passed uh, uh, fifty four sixty two, and they're going to integrate um, the perspective and history of LGBTQ stuff all through the textbooks. It, it's getting the, uh, they've just taken over the, the system here. And um, it, it's well, really our, a sad deal. And, uh, and this stuff is really grooming. It, it is, and I, I've seen a lot of the material because I, I needed to be familiar with it. But uh, Senator McCoon, uh, when, when they do this, and they even tell the schools, you can't reject the books. They're taking this away from professional educators. What, are the school districts associations or the school superintendent associations or school principals associations, are they objecting to this, saying Olympia is going to take out of their hands the ability to monitor the kind of material that's being put in front of kids? Because I would have expected school superintendents and principals and the like would object to that. Are they? I heard of three or four after I was speaking on the uh, floor on my amendment here in the Senate that we're going to pass uh, resolutions against the bill. And you know what? It, it's so, um, it's both unconstitutional and against state law. And they they have the right not to have any pornographic books in their school. Yep. Uh, uh, if, if somebody brings them in, absolutely. And uh, I'm the reason I like to be on the show or speak in the camera, because I'm trying to warn people that this is coming down the line. Yeah, and we appreciate that warning. That's Senator Jim McCoon, who represents Washington's 2nd Legislative District. That's parts of Pierce and Thurston County. Wouldn't I love to have a naysayer who says, why, sure, the kids should have access to pornographic materials all day long in public schools, and the school board and the parents have nothing to say about it, because that's the only thing a naysayer could say. Coming up in a moment, Joe goes to the border tomorrow.
me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Email talk at LarsLarson.com. He actually reads them. More with Lars right now. As president, public safety, public safety and crime reduction is a top priority for my administration and for me. And has been for a long time back when I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, about a thousand years ago. That is the pathetic old man, Joe Biden, who is president of the United States and plans to go to the Mexican border or somewhere relatively near to the Mexican border tomorrow. And it's going to be interesting to see how it sizes up because Joe Biden is facing a real firestorm that's going on right now. He's got Americans who are being murdered, Americans who are being raped, Americans who are the subject of criminal activity by the illegal aliens that he let into the country. And you can't just say, well, it's an illegal who came across the border. In the case of the most notorious of these, uh, Lake and Riley, the young lady, 22 years old, murdered in Georgia, a nursing student who was murdered and then her head disfigured by the man who murdered him, the suspect in this case, an illegal alien who was encountered at the border at the border by Border Patrol under the orders of Joe Biden. And they decided to let him go. And then he was arrested by New York City police. And they decided to let him go. And then he shows up in Georgia, and he is now accused in the murder of Lake and Riley, 22 years old. But beyond that, a two-year-old child in Maryland killed allegedly, by an illegal alien from El Salvador, one of Joe Biden's illegal aliens that he allowed in. And a 14-year-old Louisiana teenager, 14 years old, raped at knife point by another man who is uh, who is an illegal alien, uh, an illegal alien from Honduras. And guess who's to blame? I'm going to put the blame on Joe Biden. Although I'm seeing that the mayor of Athens, Georgia, the town where the Lake and Riley murder happened, he said, well, the perpetrator is the one responsible and the only one responsible. This small town mayor who's in a sanctuary city that his city chose to be a sanctuary for illegal aliens, and he still defends this cockamamie idea. He literally says, we have to have respect for these migrants. They are not migrants. They are in the country illegally. They are from a foreign country. And in some cases, they are murdering adults. They are murdering children. In one case, accused of murdering a two-year-old child. And Joe Biden is going to try to explain all of that 
I think even the mainstream media has become very, very tired of trying to carry water for this pathetic old man. And, of course, Joe Biden says, well, this isn't my problem. It's because the Republicans on Capitol Hill won't give me more money. Well, you know what, Joe? Donald Trump, president of the United States for four years, brought about one of the lowest levels of illegal alien invasion of this country that America has seen in modern American history. If you don't believe me, go back and look at the numbers. Joe Biden, on the other hand, has literally set the all-time records for the last three years for the highest level of illegal alien invasion of America. And Joe Biden doesn't seem willing to stop it. Neither does his Homeland Security Secretary, Mayorkas, who's now been impeached by the House of Representatives. And even the Democrats don't want to hold a trial, the trial that is required by the Constitution, if you impeach a federal official. And Mayorkas is the first federal official to be impeached since 1876. I mean, you have to have big, good reasons to impeach a federal official. I mean, uh, you'll say, well, presidents have been impeached. Yes. But the president is the president. He's not a federal official under the law. So when the U.S. Senate, controlled by Democrats, says, we don't want to hold a trial, I want to tell you what's going on there. If they could hold a trial and they said, Mayorkas has done nothing wrong, we're going to vote to acquit him the way the Senate acquitted Donald Trump, not once, but twice on impeachment, um, they would do so. If they said, well, we're going to hold a trial and we think Mayorkas has been lying to the Congress, has been violating the law, has been violating the Constitution, except they're not willing to do that. Because then they'd have to admit to Americans, we've allowed the president to open the borders as he promised to do as a candidate. I mean, when, when I said Joe Biden is promising to open the borders and people didn't believe me, and around sound bites of candidate Joe Biden saying exactly that that he was going to invite people to come in. In fact, I would expect you to expect me to cite some of those examples. Okay, what happened? Joe Biden has called for mass amnesty for millions of illegals already in the country, and he wants priority put on reunifying them with their families. He wants mass amnesty. He has opposed cracking down on sanctuary cities. He has promised and in some cases actually delivered free or taxpayer funded health care for illegal aliens. He is offering, he wants to promise free taxpayer funded college benefits paid for by you and me for illegal aliens. He wants community college paid for by you and me for illegal aliens. These are the things he's actually said. So if you say, well, Joe Biden didn't create this problem, let me point this out to you. When the previous president was able to get a very, very low level, the lowest level in modern history of illegals coming into the country, and Joe Biden has taken that from the lowest to the highest, and you say, well, how did all that happen? Well, let's see. Joe Biden as a candidate said, if I become president, we're going to make sure that people are welcomed at the border. And they heard the message. And then when he said, I'm going to give you money when you come into the country illegally. And he delivered. And when he got NGOs, non-governmental organizations, funded with taxpayer money to hand out bus tickets and airline tickets to illegal aliens caught at the border, do you suppose the word did not spread across the entire third world? Hey, America's giving it away. Joe Biden has decided if you manage to get to the border, you're going to get a free ride to a detention center. You're going to be detained for a couple of days. 
You're going to get three hots and a cot and medical care and a ticket anywhere in America you want to go. Your dream has arrived. And then Joe's going to promise you medical care, community college, a four-year college, health care. He has promised driver's licenses for illegals. He has said that illegal immigration, not the legal kind, the legal kind is good, and I've always agreed with that. He says that illegal aliens have made this country strong. He says illegal immigration is, quote, enriching our communities. He has promised that enforcement agents from INS and ICE will be legally barred from going to schools to try to catch some of those illegal aliens. And he said, well, he respects no borders and cannot be contained by any walls. He vowed that not another foot of Donald Trump's border wall would be built. Well, of course, that got thrown out about a year ago when he said, well, we are going to finish some of the border wall. And now it seems that Joe Biden has decided to change his tune a little bit. In his first 100 days in office, and this is a checkable, verifiable fact, in the first 100 days that Joe Biden sat in that Oval Office disgracing it in a way that no other person has ever disgraced the Oval Office, he signed 94 executive orders in 100 days that took apart all the border security that Donald Trump had put in place. This is not a contest of, of, you know, two different individuals. This is the fact that Joe Biden took actions to tear down our American border and to give all of the illegal aliens a tremendous incentive to invade America. Go to America. They'll give you free transportation and food. You can go see a doctor. You can go to a hospital and somebody else is going to pay for it. And now he's got American cities that are actually denying services to their own citizens, including veterans, to hand that resource over to people who aren't even supposed to be here. And in some cases, those illegal aliens are murdering people in America. And you've got the Lars Larson Show. on the left coast get it here's lars larson welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and i want to jump right into this interview usually i give you a few of my comments first but i love the time i get when i get it with peter schweitzer who's a political commentator and he's the guy who has managed to document so much of the political corruption in american politics including the clintons right up to the bidens and his latest book is called blood money why the powerful turn a blind eye while china kills america Peter, good to have you back. Great to be with you, Lars. Thanks for having me. I do want to talk about Abby Lowell in a moment, this Hunter Biden lawyer, who's apparently also lawyer to Chinese criminal gangs that may be involved in some international drug trade. But I want to start first with Hunter Biden was up on Capitol Hill today, and he says in no uncertain terms and on camera and everything else, my father had absolutely no involvement whatsoever in my business dealings in China, Russia, Kazakhstan, Ukraine, etc. And I just wonder, you know more about this than just about anybody else that I know as a reporter. What do we say to that? Uh, well, look at the track record. Uh, we started exposing this in 2018, and they've lied every single time. Uh, Hunter Biden's first response in 2018 was, there were no China deals. There are no China deals. Uh, then he said, you know, my father had no knowledge of these deals. Then when it became apparent that his father did have knowledge of the deals, 
the argument shifted to my father never met with my business partners. Uh, then that was shown not to be true. So I don't give a lot of credence to anything that Hunter Biden says. Uh, all you have to do is look at his track record. And you, all you have to do is look at the receipts. Here's the bottom line, Lars. In the case of China, you could say similar things from Russia and Ukraine. In the case of China, they sent tens of millions of dollars to the Biden family over the course of several years. There is no discernible service, professional business service, the Bidens ever provided for that money. So are we going to believe that they just kept sending money as an act of charity, that they wanted or expected nothing in return, that they, they got no access, they got no it's ludicrous on the face of it. Um, and the fact that they are now trotting out Hunter Biden as the one who's going to declare what happened in this relationship just shows how desperate they've become in trying to cover this up. I guess in some ways I understand a lot of people object that the initial interviews are behind closed doors. In many cases, they're not recorded. But I don't have a problem with that. And to me, it's like a lawyer deposing somebody. You might want to depose a witness for 10 hours and then put them on the stand yeah. in front of witnesses to actually hear five minutes of what you discovered in that deposition. I think I, I hope Republicans will be up to that task. I'd love to know whether or not you you share that hope. I think so. Yeah. Look, here's the thing. If you have a public hearing uh, with a congressional committee, it's. One side gets five minutes, another side gets five minutes. And, of course, a lot of those congressmen don't ask questions. They just speechify. The other problem, though, is with that format is if you are sort of being pressured and you're being asked tough questions, all you need to do is filibuster. All you got to do is get through five minutes, and then the other political side that's probably lined with you will then be able to pick up the mantle and say something else. In the behind-closed-doors deposition, it doesn't work that way. Republicans, they get an hour's worth of questioning. You can't filibuster for an hour effectively. Then the other side gets an hour, and we will have public hearings, which I think is, is good. Um, but the bottom line is this is the way it should be done. This is the way it's always been done. Uh, and, again, if Hunter Biden's not hiding anything, I don't understand why they think this is a big deal. Certainly, uh, Donald Trump Jr., I think they had nine hours of depositions involving him. I don't, yep. th I don't think it's a whole lot to ask Hunter Biden when, unlike Don Jr., you actually, in the case of Hunter Biden, actually have money changing hands. You actually have a hostile power with a relationship with the family. You have all sorts of elements that you did not have in the Russia uh, collusion case. I'm talking to Peter Schweitzer, who most recently has written Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills America. Before we go to that uh, and talk about the book, but Peter, I want to ask you this. When there was a point, I was a kid when this happened, but there was a point in Watergate where even the Republicans realized this is going nowhere good for all of us. And they went, some of them went to Nixon and they said, this is this is a mess. You're going to need to resign or words that affect. So they never impeached him. There never was a need for the impeachment or the trial. He simply left. Is there a point where Democrats realize that these bold denials from Hunter Biden or even from Joe Biden, which he's made, he said all along. In fact, he said on the debate stage, there were no deals in China. And now you've got pictures and emails and all this other proof. Is there a point where the Democrats say, this is a, sh a sinking ship and we want to be in one of the lifeboats and not stay with Captain Biden? 
Yeah, well, you would think so. Uh, and look, if you look at the opinion polling, uh, the Harvard-Harris poll, the New York Times, ABC News, they've all asked the question, did Joe Biden engage in either illegal or highly unethical actions to advance his family's businesses? In all of those surveys, at least, at least 65% of people surveyed say yes. That's a stunning number. That's a stunning number. That means independents. That means Republicans. The hardcore that are saying no are hardcore Democrats, and they're going to die on this hill. Um, but let's understand, Lars, what is happening if this behavior is normalized. Let's be clear what this means. What this means if the, if the Bidens don't suffer any sort of sanction from their political party, any sort of legal sanction or political sanction uh, for this behavior. What this means now is future presidents, future secretary of defense, future secretary of state, their adult children can go and solicit money from foreign governments. They can be adversarial governments. It can be Russia. It can be China. It can be whoever you want. It can be Iran. They can accept that money with no legitimate business purpose behind it. And according to the Biden standard, this is acceptable. This is now acceptable behavior. That's what's happening as long as Democrats continue to cling to this. Because trust me, I've studied corruption for decades. If you allow this sort of behavior to happen, it becomes normalized. People on both sides will start doing it because they can see that they get away with it. I'm talking to Peter Schweitzer. Peter, let's go to the premise of the book. Why is it that the powerful people in the United States are happy, are happy to turn a blind eye as their country gets sold out and down the drain to China, the subject of your book? Yeah, well, some of them do it because they go along to get along. And if you accept what is in the book, and I think the evidence is overwhelming, that China is responsible for the death of millions of Americans, uh, some of it's fentanyl, some of it's COVID, some of it's the violence on our streets. If you accept that premise, you cannot have a normal relationship with this country. You can't say, let's sit down and talk about trade. Um, so some of it's just go along to get along. Other cases, though, there are very, very specific examples of financial entanglements that make it embarrassing to raise this subject uh, on both sides of the aisle. On, on the For the Democrats, you again have to look at the Bidens. And you realize that the Bidens have one degree of separation from the individuals who set up the fentanyl poison conveyor belt that is killing Americans, 100,000 Americans every year. And that's a bold statement, but it's true. Um, we know that the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico was set up in the fentanyl trade. They became the kings of fentanyl thanks to a Chinese criminal gang called UBG. Uh, and the head of UGB is a gentleman, um, Zhang Anlo, who goes by the name White Wolf. White Wolf had a business partner. That business partner, Yi Yi Ming, sent the Bidens $5 million. Nothing in return, no services rendered. So the question is, does Joe Biden really want to have a conversation about China involvement in the fentanyl trade? Does he really want to address the issue? Does he want to address the fact that there are 2,000 Chinese wow. nationals in Mexico involved in fentanyl? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. That's Peter Schweitzer. You can read the whole story at Blood Money, why the powerful turned a blind eye while China kills America. Peter, it is always a pleasure. You're welcome back on the show anytime. We'll be back in a moment. I'll get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you're listening to the Radio Northwest Network.
If you're even, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Just a little update. I started uh, near the beginning of the show today talking about uh, some cakes. Some cakes that a man, one of the listeners of this show, spotted at Costco. And what did they say on them? Celebrating black student excellence. And you say, okay, which school was that? Harriet Tubman Middle School. And a number of hours ago, uh, early this morning, I sent out emails to the school principal and to some of the other staff saying, hey, I'd like to know about this. Could you please tell me why are you celebrating black student excellence? So I wrote to them. And by the way, if you want to see the pictures of that cake, I realize cakes aren't usually, but they're a great way of symbolizing something. If you have a school that's full of kids, in this case, 60% minority kids, 40% not minority, 50-50, male to female, and you say, we're going to celebrate the excellence of the students, I'd say that's a great idea. But when they then go down and say, we're not going to celebrate all the students' excellence, just the excellence of the black students in particular at the school, you have to say, well, what about the white kids? What about the Hispanic kids? What about the Asian kids? Are you going to celebrate their excellence? But it gets even better than that, because when you check the statistics for, the, and there are many Tubman schools around America, but Harriet Tubman Middle School in Portland uh, has a student population of almost 400. 60% of them are students of color. And then I looked at the stats. So what are they celebrating? Excellence. Well, their latest statistics, three quarters of the students are not proficient in math. 24% are proficient in math. Two-thirds of the students are not proficient in reading. That would be 65%. Only 35% of the students at this school are proficient in reading. And I said, I checked the latest stats. I'd love to have somebody from Tubman, maybe even the principal, I think his name is Trevor Greer, come on my regional talk show to talk about the ex the educational excellence that you're celebrating at Tubman, but I'm a bit confused. And I said, I'd love to know why you're only celebrating the excellence of the black kids in school and not all of the kids in school. Let's go to the uh, phones, and if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. If you're a naysayer, you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Hey, Monica, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Um, yeah, so I heard recently at my kid's school, this is an elementary school, yeah. um, that 
during school, the kids got asked if they wanted to go outside to march. And as march. being elementary students, march, and being for elementary students, you know, they all they hear is probably we're going outside. Um, and then I guess I heard that they were chanting outside around the school, Black Lives Matter. So to me, I'm like, I feel like that's a political matter. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to email the teachers, or not the teachers, but the principal, and just say why they're being pulled out of school educational time to go do something political without, you know, asking the parents or maybe, you know, because you're asking elementary students. Yeah, they're going to say yes to going outside any day of the week. I, was, I mean, when I was at school, a kid in school, I'd love to go outside instead of whatever it was you were doing inside. How long ago did this happen, Monica? Um, this just happened this past Friday. Wow. So, and I guess I, I have to point this out, Monica, because you may or may not know this. Oregon is notorious in all of America as having one of the shortest school years in the nation. I mean, almost every state, I think every state, has a minimum that they set, minimum number of days in school that actually qualifies a school year, minimum number of hours of instruction. And Oregon has, if not the shortest school year in America, it has one of the shortest school years in America, which I always thought was a, you know, that's a detriment to the kids. When you say, we got to teach you all this stuff, but we're going to have it done, you know, in the shortest possible school year, uh, or at least one of the shortest school years in America. And then you add that to the fact that test scores do, I mean, both Oregon and Washington have lousy test scores for a majority of the students. So they don't do very well. And then when the state a couple of years ago said, we're going to drop the requirement to be able to read or write or do math to be able to graduate from school. So we're not even just talking about little kids. We're talking about high school kids saying, yeah, you don't have to read or write or do math to be able to graduate and get a diploma. It kind of says that they're not doing a very good job. And then when the teachers or the administration says, oh, and we're going to take away some of that very short and very rare and very valuable educational time, and we're going to use it for your kids to march around and shout slogans about things they may or I'm, I'm asking no insult to your son, but does he know what Black Lives Matter is? And would he have wanted to be involved in a protest about it? Yeah, and that's the thing. I keep my daughters away from a lot of that political stuff that's going on, the Black Lives Matter, Matter LGBTQ, all that kind of stuff. I try to keep yep. them away from all that political Good thing. for you. And I just and, and the thing is that that's where I was kind of upset when it's like you guys, instead of focusing on test scores and test results, you're focusing on taking them out when you guys already went on strike and they already lost more time. And so to pull them out to march around the school, like I just feel like that's a waste of time and maybe parents should be asked ahead of time, hey, you know, send it out in an email. We're going to do this. You know, if you want to come pick up your kids, you, you have, you know, Ask the parents instead of asking the kids. Very nicely said, Monica, and I appreciate it. I think you're right on target. I think you ought to get a bunch of other parents and say, stop wasting our kids' time and stop wasting all that valuable education time. Use it for what it's there for and not to make political points. Monica, thank you very much. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? 
Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com.